0: 8,000 feet beneath my feet, there's enough lithium to power America's electric car industry into the foreseeable future. There is a treasure potentially worth billions of dollars. He takes us to a remote part of California near the border with Mexico. And a billion dollar project promising to transform this region. Now what some people are calling California's lithium valley is an economic and environmental wasteland. But it could be on the cusp of a boom like this area hasn't seen in 60 years.
1: Gaston County homeowners are voicing their opinions to state regulators about a proposed lithium mine. Piedmont Lithium needs a state permit to begin mining lithium for electric car companies like Tesla, but after receiving comments from several homeowners, the state is holding a public hearing right now to hear directly from affected people.
2: How dangerous is the idea of a mine? Mines have scarred the earth. They have displaced communities. They have provided and they have taken. But not every mine gets built. And not every mine needs to be built. In a way, whether a mine gets built or not depends on the decisions we make, the power we have, and the stories we tell. One narrative has been dominating the topic of mining lately. The story presents certain minerals as essential for saving the planet from climate disaster.
3: While we're making this transition from an energy system that was based in hydrocarbons like uh, oil and gas That transition is actually moving towards a fairly mineral-intensive future, one which is going to require significant amounts of cobalt, lithium, rare earth elements, nickel, copper, a whole range of different materials that'll make our climate goals
1: happen.
4: Investment in developing critical minerals rose 30% last year, according to the IEA, building on 2021's 20% jump in spending. The market's doubled in the last five years, hitting $320 billion in 2022.
1: Now, the opportunity is not lost on mining companies. We aren't just digging for digging's sake. We're trying to make sure that we can solve the climate crisis and also that we can make sure that we can compete in the new economies of the future, which will be electric and which will run on minerals.
2: This narrative often assumes that there is only one possible transition. We either mine these critical minerals or we face climate collapse. The cost of mining for the climate is hardly acknowledged. And when it is, it is excused. We might not like mining, but this is an emergency, the story goes. And when we're in an emergency, we have to make sacrifices.
1: Eventually, we're going to have to put some shovels in the ground to dig up the raw materials that we're going to need to fuel our electric vehicles. People need to understand that you can't make something out of nothing. There are going to be trade-offs, but how can you offset what we're doing to the land and also to recognize, again, that bigger picture?
4: These minerals are distributed unevenly across the globe and not always in ideal locations. Seventy percent of the world's cobalt is mined in the war-torn and corrupt Democratic Republic of Congo.
5: This is one of the thousands of unregulated, unmonitored mines in the DRC. It's crawling with children, working like modern-day slaves. A 12-hour-long day of punishing work may earn them the equivalent of a pound.
2: And we need these minerals from these sacrifice zones because there is something we need to protect.
4: A company called Rivian won the race to deliver the first all-electric pickup and is now launching an SUV.
5: By now, you might have heard that electric vehicles are fast.
2: Uh, that's like being on some sort of rocket ship ride. Yeah, it's very, very quick. But RJ Scaringe, the founder and CEO of Rivian, is out to prove they can also be fierce. Oh, we're literally gonna go crawl up a wall of
3: rocks. We are gonna crawl up this wall of rocks,
5: exactly. (laughs) He calls this an adventure vehicle.
2: These messages present electric vehicles not as a solution to issues of transportation, but as objects of desire. Car companies promote EVs and electric trucks, in particular, as fast, powerful, and manly. Journalists and technocrats also present EVs, lithium batteries, and the mining of critical minerals as a national security issue.
4: China extracts a majority of the world's graphite and rare earth elements, such as neodymium, that are used for magnets inside wind turbines and electric vehicles. Western nations could nearly replace their one-time dependence on foreign oil and gas sources with a new dependence on China. That's why today I'm issuing a directive to strengthen our clean energy economy. I'm going to use the Defense Production Act. Recently, President Biden invoked the Defense Production Act to unlock more funds for mineral projects, though his regulators have also stood in the way of some mines. Last year's bipartisan infrastructure bill allocated several billion dollars to the production and recycling of critical minerals in the U.S. It also moved to cut red tape for mining on federal land.
2: These stories about mining, about the climate, and about the future, set us on one unquestioned path. The path that these stories outline for us is one where mining not only increases, but also becomes even more central to our everyday lives. More mining, more consumption, more growth. Here's Farid Zakaria from CNN, arguing that there is only one inevitable path ahead of us.
4: The minerals industry isn't as popular as renewable energy, particularly on the left. There are real environmental hazards. But if people want to protect the planet from climate change and authoritarian powers, they will have to get on board with new mineral projects. Even the ocean floor cannot be off limits. This will have to remain a priority for years and years to come. For the sake of the planet and international security, we will need to dig deep, quite literally.
2: But what impacts do these stories have on mining communities? What stories are these communities telling? And what paths do they envision for the future? Welcome to Mining for the Climate. A series about mines, local struggles, and a global rush to save the planet. My name is Juan Manuel, and I'll be your host for this first episode. I am a historian, and one thing I've learned in my research is that mines are like living organisms. They consume their surrounding environment, they eat forests, and they drink from rivers. They also consume a lot of energy and they release tons of waste. It is not always easy to know how these bodies are affecting local communities. And this is in part because there is a history of mining companies obscuring the environmental impacts of their operations. In February 2011, an Ecuadorian court found Chevron guilty of one of the largest environmental disasters on the planet and ordered the oil giant to pay $18 billion in environmental damages for dumping nearly 16 billion gallons of toxic oil, drilling water waste into the rivers in the Amazon. But there is also a history of people showing us what mines do and how they spread.
4: We end a show in Ecuador, where Voter Sunday overwhelmingly supported a historic referendum blocking oil extraction in the Amazon's Yasuni National Park. The effort was spearheaded by indigenous leaders and environmental defenders.
2: This is why I think it's important to stay tuned to the communities that are challenging mining projects as they emerge. They're keeping the pulse on how these metabolisms work how they grow, and who they harm.
0: Now let's hear from the rest of the team and why they joined this project. My name is Max. I'm a senior at Princeton, where I study environmental and urban history. My generation has grown up alongside the electric vehicle. When I was six, Tesla released the first EV powered by lithium-ion batteries. Since then, the world's car manufacturers have committed to electrifying their fleets in the coming decades. It seems, to be a good environmentalist, you need to have a long-range EV with hundreds of pounds of lithium, cobalt, and other contested minerals sitting in your garage. But that type of thinking seems outdated to me. We know that private car ownership is incompatible with sustainable and walkable cities. There are eight parking spots for every car in this country, wasting land on which we could grow food or plant trees. Car infrastructure also comes at the cost of affordable, efficient, and convenient public transportation. I like to imagine a world without cars, but I'm also realistic. Electric vehicles are coming and I want us to do this transition well, both for the environment and for people around the world. That's why I joined Mining for the Climate.
3: My name is Alex. From very early on in my life, I have felt the urgency of the climate crisis. I feel it in the ravages of each new heat wave that stifles, flood that drowns, or storm that sweeps away. I also feel it on a more day-to-day level, in the consumptive, fossil-based social structures and energy systems, which keep us on course for climate collapse. The urgency I feel drove me to climate activism, to pressuring policymakers, energizing young people, and dragging the needle towards action as much as I could. That continues at Princeton, where I fight to dismantle fossil fuel investment and oil-sponsored research. So when the Biden administration began to throw billions of dollars towards climate infrastructure, I became hopeful for the future in a way that I hadn't been before. Finally, after years of organizing from activists like myself, the government seemed to be moving with an urgency that was closer to what the climate crisis demands. But now I'm worried about this urgency What can go wrong when we speed up? When we speed up, we overlook harm. When we speed up, we leave people behind. When we speed up, we accuse criticism of impeding action. The climate crisis demands urgency. There's no question about it. But how we channel that urgency matters. That's why I want to know how lithium mining companies deploy urgency and in what other forms it can manifest in order to bring about a just societal transformation.
1: My name is Grace, and I'm interested in stories. I like stories because I like learning about people. And I found that climate stories can tell us a lot about how the world works. They're about systems and institutions and the people at the heart of them. Climate stories are stories about society and how those implicated all of us choose to move through it. I'm curious about the narratives being crafted as a result of the climate crisis. Those about the people in power and those who are on the other side. I want to get to know all these people and understand their beliefs, stakes, and hopes. And during the process, I hope to find the stories that move us, that push us to reconsider the world as we see it and drive us to action. My
5: name is Nate. When I was about six years old, the state of Pennsylvania took 10 acres of our farm to build a four lane highway. This included fields of sunflowers and small grains that I walked through and several large fruit trees that I climbed. The Pennsylvania Department of Transportation told my family that we wouldn't hear or notice the road. The highway has proven to be tremendously destructive. Not a day goes by when it isn't heard or thought. Some of the loudest vehicles are the dump trucks hauling crushed rock from one of two limestone quarries just a few miles away. In part because of the four-lane highway, I now study and write about environmental justice issues. It is well documented that environmental injustices overwhelmingly affect the most disadvantaged. Around the world, communities of color and impoverished communities suffer disproportionately from environmental violence. Animals and plants also suffer, often alongside disadvantaged human communities who depend upon these beings for their cultures and identities. But because they are not human, they are often left out of consideration. Every day, most animals and plants face a constant struggle simply to survive. Some have called their experiences a war, while others have called it omnicide or the killing of everything. Like breaking ground for a road, building a mine has consequences for local animals and plants. It forever alters the relationships among human communities and the ecologies that support them. Mining, it is important to remember, is not a predetermined activity. Instead, it results from a set of worldviews that position humans outside ecological relations and above all other beings. So how do lithium mines expose animals, plants, and the humans who depend upon them to new perils? In envisioning and developing the futures of energy, can we learn to live well together? In the
2: first season of Mining for the Climate, we'll visit Gaston County, North Carolina. There, Piedmont Lithium is proposing a 1,500-acre open-pit lithium mine. The mine is not built yet, so how dangerous can the idea of this mine be?
4: I start hearing from neighbors that people are getting harassed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not selling any land.
5: As we're mining, there obviously is a potential for dust to be generated and created. We will be using water suppression as our dust control suppression system. My biggest thing is to Piedmont Lithium, to the county, to the state, to the federal government. Stop burying the truth.
2: Every mine reaches a crossroads at which its fate is determined. Piedmont's Carolina project is at that crossroads right now. So what kind of future will this project bring? This is coming up on Mining for the Climate. Mining for the Climate is a co-creation of Nate Ocean and Juan Manuel Rubio and it's a production of Blue Lab at Princeton University. For their support and expertise, we thank, at Princeton, the High Meadows Environmental Institute, the Humanities Council, and the Office of the Dean of Research, as well as Covenda Media. This episode of Mining for the Climate was produced by me, Juan Manuel Rubio, and edited by me and Nate Ogen. Our research and production team includes Max Whitman, Alex Norbrook, Grace Wang, Nate Ogen, and Juan Manuel Rubio. Music for this episode was by Purple Planet. Find it at purple-planet.com. Additional music tracks are from Shake That Little Foot and Pryo Meadows.
5: Mining for the Climate was made possible by funding from Blue Lab the High Meadows Environmental Institute, and the Office of the Dean for Research at Princeton University. We would like to express our gratitude to the following people for their generosity and kindness. Amir Adaryani, H.L. Bean, Locke Bell, Ian Bigley, Rebecca Buck, Chad Brown, Brian Dalton, Wyatt Julien, Larry Neal, Monique Parker, Adam Parr, Thea Riofrancos, Aaron Sanders, Lisa Strap, Emily Winter, and Tom. At Blue Lab, we especially thank the lab's director, Allison Karuth, along with Baron Bixler, Maggie Pust, Jamie Collins, Jessica Ng, and Mario Soriano. At the High Meadows Environmental Institute, we thank Emily Amitage, Stacey Christian, Kathy Hackett, Nathan Jesse, Ryan Juskus, Zach Cato, Heidi Mihalik, and Laura Matejcik. And at the Efren Center for the Study of America, we give special thanks to Nick Quisha Tolliver.